Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, September 26, 2021. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater living in Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, September 24, 2021, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting is 17808. That's 17,808. And 17,810, 17810 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting. This morning, A Vision for You presents Seeding the Ground in Steps 1 through 11. Sundays are very special, and I always look forward to them. And what a thrill to join each other this morning to learn about the gift of being prepared to carry this message to another suffering compulsive overeater. The presentation will outline the expert plan that each step builds upon to prepare ourselves for such a life-saving and life-preserving proposition of the 12th step experience. A powerful presentation is before us, so hang on. Sponsoring, guiding another suffering compulsive overeater through the steps. Why? Well, I'll quote, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. Dr. Bob's Nightmare, page uh, nightmare, page 181 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We've hit the jackpot today, ladies and gentlemen. The day has come when we have been handed the compass and the roadmap up out of the hole that we have buried ourselves in. Here we come. And hope is the scope. Our travel guide, a fellow compulsive overeater that has trudged through with their, with their guide, step by methodical step to the other end, is here at our side today to teach us. First up, entire abstinence. What a relief, right? Entire abstinence, what a relief. A big burden of a lifetime has just been lifted off of our backs. We're going to do that straight away. And now with our minds a bit clearer, we are ready to take our first step on this road that's mapped out for us in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, a specific guide. If we can take and follow directions, we are well on our way. Each subsequent well-ordered step brings about new vistas and horizons. We are being enlightened and awakened with each and every single step. The big book tells us on page 83, paragraph four, that if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. And of course, we've then culminated all those steps up to step nine when we speak about this particular quote. Before we know it, we have completed the 11th step and are finding that we are eager and ready and prepared to begin the journey of a lifetime, sharing what we have been so freely given. We have what we have been given. Well, I guess I want to say in a question form, what have we been given? We've been given freedom from food obsession. Can you imagine that freedom from food obsession, the neutrality around that demon and a way of living that is miraculous? day by day. Step 12 keeps us fit spiritually, protects us from resting on our laurels and a number of other bits promised as mentioned along the way in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They are astounding. You don't want to miss it. We will never be alone anymore. Sponsor, guide, 
protege, sponsoree, however you want to embrace that kind of, of responsibility, that role that we have with one another, you name it as you will. We're going to have a well-ordered building blocks of steps 1 through 11 that will set this foundation in place, this relationship one to another. Thinking of others is our service now. Today, our guest speaker will address this process of preparedness, seeding the ground, steps one through 11. One by one, step by step, she will describe to you from the big book her personal experience, leaving a trail of tremendous hope. Who wants to live with no way out? If that's what you've come here to do today, is help come to find a way out, you're on a great advantage. So without furtherance, I would like to introduce to you today our guest speaker. She is a recovered compulsive overeater, serious about her recovery, and a very loyal, committed member of a Vision for You Big Book study. You will find her weekdays showing up and suiting up for wherever she is needed, willing to jump in to recover anytime, anywhere. We rely on her enthusiasm and her heart. She hails from the bold state of Massachusetts, as you've heard already today, where experience, strength, and hope in recovery is quite strong. A vision for you is happy to welcome today Nancy P. to this line this morning. Good morning, Nancy. Hi, Melanie. Good morning. Thank you for that wonderful intro. It's a little... uh boot quaking for me, but um, I'm thrilled to be have been asked to share. And Good morning, everybody. So um, uh, first, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about my history, which really informed my recovery in the end. And um, I celebrated my 50th anniversary in this program this past January, working on 51 years this coming January. And until I surrendered, I got nowhere and you know I have you know platinum pedigree and pretty deep um when Bernice S moved from LA to Massachusetts she put an ad in the local paper and my mother answered that ad in 1966 I had not even started the first grade and um you know I went to with my mother I wasn't even in the first grade and she was um um, didn't have any babysitter, so I had to go with her to um, Bernice's house and where they had these meetings. And, and, you know, I had to play with Bernice's daughter who didn't want to play with me. She wanted to, you know, I don't know what she wanted to do. But anyway, so, you know, I was there in the beginning. I was pretty young, um, six years old, and um, didn't really understand. But I do know that things changed in my house, um, mostly that my mother took out all the snack food and the junk food that, I wasn't quite yet a compulsive overeater at that moment, but um, I was one in the making. And they started this meeting in a church in my hometown that just stopped meeting 53 years after they started it, um, a couple, one or two years ago, something like that. But it went pretty strong for all those years, and um, that was my home group in the beginning. And then they started a young people's group, but I was... 11 when they started the young people's group and I was I didn't understand I mean I knew that I was a or I didn't know that I was a compulsive overeater but I knew that I had this relationship with food and that it was hard for me to not 
be thinking about food even when I was playing with my friends or, you know, what I wanted to do at age 11 was eat junk food and watch TV. That's age appropriate. That's what, well, I think that's what some 11 year olds want to do. Um, and I couldn't really understand. And the idea that, that, you know, God was going to save me didn't sit very well with me even then. Um, I'm very, very agnostic, as many people know. I'm out and proud about it because I still recovered, and this book says I can do that. Um, in fact, the 12th step guarantees me that I can do that. So, you know, I, I was sort of, I went to the young people's meeting every week with all the other children from the other women in this new OA program, and uh, none of us really got anywhere with it. And, um, so that is how I sort of went on. And I, in the midst of going to Overeaters Anonymous as a, as a young adolescent and teenager in high school, I also went to, to two different pay-in-ways each twice. Um, but, the, of course, they didn't work either. And, you know, my life was sort of a compulsive overeater disaster all along. Um, uh, when I was in high school, I got... Um, caught smoking pot three days before I was taking my final exams. I had already been accepted to college and I got suspended for the rest of the school year. So everybody except my math teacher gave me a pass on my final. And, um, you know, that was just one thing. I got in a car accident every weekend for two months. And the last one, I wasn't even the driver. It was my friend. That was my thinking, my best thinking. I said, oh, yeah, drive my parents' car. And she drove it over a stone wall into a ditch. And I knew that the punishment wouldn't be any worse if I said that I was the one who was driving, um, maybe it would be even not as bad <laughs> if I said that I was the one that was driving. So I said that I was, and um, that was the fourth car totaled, and I didn't drive my parents' car for uh, 18 months. They, they, took, they took privileges away, and I don't blame them. Um, so that was my, my best thinking. And, and when I went away to college, I weighed 118 pounds, fresh out of a pay and weigh, and it was like I was a a dry cleaner, you know, a piece of clothing in a dry cleaner bag. As soon as you take the plastic off and put it on, it wrinkles. And when I went away to college, you know, I went into the dining commons and, and took off my eating. You know, I ate all kinds of bulky foods, you know, bread, spaghetti, potatoes, cake, and tab to keep my sugar down. And um, when I graduated, I weighed uh, 67 pounds more than when I um when I entered the university. And I, I, in my senior year, I, um, I, I did something that I never did. I said that I needed help. And, I, and my mother, you know, I had gone to a few OA meetings while I was in school, but my mother came, drove out to my, my college with um, a big book that I still have, um, a big book and some measuring cups and a scale and some food. And she drove me in a meeting list and she drove me around where, where I went to school and showed me where the meetings were that I could get to on the public transportation, the, the bus system that, that we all took back then. And she tried, but it didn't work. And um, I also, you know, my thinking, my, my compulsive overeater thinking was that I had gotten into debt, not much by today's standards, but, you know, my parents, my mother was a public health nurse and my father was a, you know, middle manager guy. They didn't have a lot of money. And I needed $400 and my dad wrote me a check in with a letter that said, this is on loan with 10% compounded interest. And if this ever happens again, you can take care of it yourself, even if you have to go to jail. And I don't blame him for that either. The selfishness 
that I, you know, lived in, the self that I lived in, I didn't care about them. I didn't think about them and, and how hard it was to, to um, you know, pay for college and, and, you know, and still pay their own bills. And um, so I graduated obese, or for me obese, at close to 200 pounds. And, um, you know, I couldn't get a job. It was a recession. And um, so I had three jobs, in a, um, one in a collections agency, where they call you up and say, pay this bill or we're going to come and get you. I didn't do that, but I, I was their admin. And um, I had a, a job in a precursor to Home Depot, a big box hardware store as a clerk, a t- cashier. And then I worked as a hostess in a restaurant. And the hostess job... Don't ever hire Nancy P as a hostess, at least while she's eating compulsively, because I was the rudest, nastiest hostess ever. And, um, you know, I would argue with my boss. I would argue with customers. I don't even know how I, how I managed to stay at that job. And, um, and that was my life. And my mother, you know, my parents loved me, and they wanted to help me. And they, my mother took me around, and we managed to find an interview suit that was, you know, I don't know what size it was, but it was like a, you know, huge garment. And... Um, and, you know, then meanwhile, I, I didn't have any place to go, so I went to a lot of meetings. And my mother weighed and measured all my food, packed my lunch, made my breakfast, and set my dinner down in front of me when I got home. And I went to a meeting, at least one meeting, seven days a week, and on weekends, often two or even three. And I lost all my weight. But I didn't enlarge my spiritual life. And um, I got exactly what I should have expected, which was I constantly, I mean, I stayed thin for a couple of years until actually my father died during that time and I, I was going to move out, but my mother was alone, so I stayed home with her for another several months. But, um, you know, I was thin and then when I moved out, when I didn't have someone making my lunch every day, I mean, I stayed sort of thin-ish, you know, within a, two or three or four pounds of that, but um, I was definitely like a, a racehorse waiting to get out of the out of the box, out of the gate. And um, for the next... 30 years, I was up and down and up and down. And my two most, you know, when I was in college, the, you know, my, my behavior with food, you know, they delivered food and alcohol to the dorms till 2 a.m. And I, the drinking age back then was 18 uh, when I started anyways. And, you know, I ate and drank alcohol and I took drugs and I was, um, had risky behavior with men and, and risky behavior in general. And, then I, you know, I come back out, I go back to the dry cleaner and I'm thin again in OA. And, um, and, and my thinking was so bad that my two most significant relationships, one was with a guy that was definitely, definitely going to hit me. And the other one was, was with a, um, a guy that was on parole from a maximum security prison in Florida, two counts, 25 and five for drugs. He got um, arrested and caught on a federal drug sting. I don't know, whatever it was. And I later found out years later that he died some horrible death. Um, I don't know if it was in prison or not, but, you know, that's not like that was my best thinking, abstinent only with no spiritual um, life at all, no spirituality. And, um, and that continued, you know, I'd get these good jobs. You know, I always had a job and I always made a decent, very good wage, but you know, I lost jobs, I alienated friends, I, you know, I still, like, I still would, wouldn't think anything about fighting with my boss or arguing. I mean, today, the, it makes me cringe that I behave that way, but that's how life went on, and, you know, it would have continued to go on. I ended up, you know, the reason that I know that 
that there is a power in my life is because my best thinking got me with those two men. You know, each I have spent about a year with each of those two guys, and yet I ended up with a man who is has integrity and honor and decency, and he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't know how to lie, cheat, or steal if his life depended on it. He just wouldn't. And um, even today, he tells me this is he's not in this program at all, and he tells me that I'm not allowed to hate the other side of the political aisle. And he says that, you know, I have to, you know, he reminds me, <laughs> he reminds me because even still today, when I feel as though I'm recovered and happy, joyous and free, I'm just still a compulsive overeater. And my mind is only a, a hair's breadth away from lying, cheating, stealing, sneaking, hiding, you know, all that. I, I just will do that. Um, and so I seek counsel with other people all the time. I don't ever depend on my own thinking to do any work of importance to me. Um, so, you know, when I first graduated from college, I was manning a table at a health fair where Overeaters Anonymous had a table. They had insurance companies there, fitness companies, you know, gyms, fitness equipment manufacturers, and then the pay and ways um, had a table and we had a table. And the other person, I had a shift and the other person manning the table had really, really good recovery. And I asked her, I said, how do you stay on? And it wasn't that I was asking her how she stayed away from the food. I think what I was really asking her was like, how did you, how can, just how do you stay serene? How do you stay living in the 12 steps? And she said, well, service did it for me. And I was like, hmm, service didn't do it for me. I mean, I did all the service. I was an intergroup rep. I got venues. I booked speakers. I handled the literature. I took the key. I coordinated um, marathons. I typed up zillions of phone lists. I, I mean, I, you know, I did all that. Um, I didn't sponsor because sponsoring bored me because it was mostly talking about food. Like this is what I'm going to eat today. And, um, so, but I didn't. But I did other kinds of service, and that didn't do it for me. And I don't know if, if at that point, that sponsoring would have even helped me. But life went on. I'll just jump to the to the point. Um, and I'm sorry if this part of my story bores anyone. But I only have the one story because I only have the one life. But um, when my daughter um, got into high school, when she was about 14, she started cutting and burning herself, and um, I just I, I didn't even understand that. Although today. Um, if I, I know that if you take away cutting and self-harm and put in food and compulsive overeating, there she is, you know, um, she's a size four and she doesn't, you know, ever turn to food as a, as a solution. But, um, you know, she, um, yeah, she was in, in tough shape and I was just, you know, my eating, I had been, you know, she was, she wasn't a troubled you know, troublesome child, but she um, she was more challenging than my son in terms of just her behavior. And I felt like I couldn't get it right with her. I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't do a good job as a parent. And, you know, I had, I had of course, picked up, you know, not because of that, but I had already been dabbling with, with, um, with eating, you know, like picking and licking, I call it. And, um, you know, I was doing that. And, um, and, and then she, that happened and it, you know, everything, you know, hit the fan. And I sort of got out of the 101 level of eating into the PhD program. And I, I worked six miles away from where I lived and had to stop twice before I got to my desk. And I just, I mean, I was just, I would cry in the car and I would stuff food down my throat without even chewing it. My throat hurt 
from eating, you know, swallowing food that hadn't been chewed whole, you know, um, sweet things, you know, pastries and things. And, um, and, and I couldn't do anything. And, you know, my daughter later told me that the only reason she didn't commit suicide was because she was afraid it would upset me too much. And I said to her, I said, I'm so glad that you didn't. However you got there is, um, you know, however you get there is, is important, is what's important. And, um, but at exactly the same time, I didn't want that daughter. She was broken and she couldn't be fixed. And all she brought me was pain. And then I'd be so ashamed and guilty that I actually felt that way about my own daughter. And I couldn't tell anyone, even my husband. And it just sat there inside me, rotting and tainting me. Sorry. Um, it still makes me so upset. But I also thought, of course you got that daughter, Nancy. It's exactly what you deserve because you're fat, dumb, and ugly and a terrible mother. And it's your fault that she's this way. And it was painful, but the only thing I could do was make it about me because I couldn't help her. I would have shouldered her pain in a heartbeat if I could have. I would have, but I I couldn't. So, you know, in the midst of all that, my my day that I was sitting in my car sobbing because I had just eaten a dozen donuts, I called a dear friend that I've known for 40 years, and she, um, she told me about a vision for you and... Um, you know, she was kind of stumbling over herself. She couldn't get the words out fast enough. And um, she said, it's so great. And I was like, you know, phone meeting, you know, and she spoke to what I was thinking, which was not very nice. I was like, I'm not going to stupid phone meeting. They suck and I, I hate them. And she said, no, 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 this one's different. And I said, all right, give me the website. And she said, no. She said, get a, get a paper and a pen. I'll wait. And, um, so I did, and I wrote it down, and I dialed in to A Vision for You on December 1st of 2017, and I have not had to hurt myself with food since that day, but my daughter was still very sick, you know? I mean, the, it was it got much worse. I got better, and she, my daughter got worse. And, um, you know, I, um, I made about 9 billion phone calls from, you know, December 10th, about when I got my sponsor, um, and... Um, through the summer of 2018 and I would pick up the phone. I would call somebody and um, talk to them for two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes or half an hour. And then I'd hang up the phone and burst into tears and, and make another phone call. And I didn't eat so much as an extra grain of rice, not one. And I had to go visit her in the hospital when she, where she was in a locked ward and you know, where we had to be scanned and, and nothing, you know, we couldn't bring anything in. And um, and then she would call me and beg me to come and get her because she just thought she was fine. And I was her mother and I had to leave her there. And it was it was just really hard. And, um, you know, I'm going through the steps. Like back then, they used to send out a blast email with all the newcomer numbers. And I used to call every single newcomer every single day because that was how I stayed sane. And, um you know, in the doctor's opinion, it says, you know, they had this guy who's Bill, commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, compressing upon them, they must do likewise with still others. And the result is that they appear to have recovered. And to impress is to influence deeply. Um, so this is, they're telling me on the first page of the doctor's opinion that, um, that step 12 is really important. And the second page um, 
I have the third edition, so that's page XXIV. We work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane. So helping others with no expectations is what altruism altruism is. And to me, those, you know, spiritual and altruistic plane is married together because the one gives life to the other. If you don't help, if I don't help people, my spiritual awakening or my spiritual life is dead. It doesn't, it's empty. It's a husk. You know, the, um, the, the, the helping other people, carrying the message and practicing the principles is like the Sistine Chapel where, you know, the painting of um, Adam getting life from God, the two hands nearly touching. Um, that's what gives it life is, um, is the working with others, carrying the message and practicing the principles. I mean, there's three things, you know, yeah, the 12 steps says, um, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of working these steps. And a lot of people emphasize the word the, you know, as the result and, you know, okay, that's fine. And, but for me, my spiritual awakening doesn't mean anything unless, I plug it in. And how do I plug it in? By working with others and, and, and carrying the message, not just working with others, not just sponsoring. Sponsoring is great. It's awesome, in fact. But, you know, I get a lot of calls from people um, that, you know, because I'm agnostic and I'm very open about that. And so I get a lot of calls from, you know, like shy red voters or shy blue voters. I get people that are shy agnostics that don't want to tell anybody they're agnostic or that they have questions. So they call me where it's safe and you know, and I tell them, yeah, I can, you can do this. The book says that you can do it any way that you want. Just get there, right? However you get there, baby. That's what I said to my daughter about not committing suicide. However you get there. And the book means that. It says that. And so, um, you know, however I get there is fine. And, um, you know, after it says on the, the third reference in the doctor's opinion... <laughs> It says, after many years of experience, and to me experience means data, that we have found that nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. So Nancy P. has five words that are, in my opinion, the most important. They are absolute, complete, entire, utter, and nothing. And they, that, the reason that I think those words are important is because we have absolute abstinence. There's no, what part of that don't you understand? We have complete surrender. What part of that don't you understand? That means, for me anyways, I mean, I didn't want to surrender. I needed to be hit on the head. I needed to have, I love this, a crushing blow to my pride and devastating, crushing and devastating blow to my pride, like it says with Fred and, and, and Bill's story. I had a lot of pride. You know, I, I thought I knew. I really thought I knew, and um, and I didn't know. And the, the the degree of my not knowing was just monumental. I mean, I was just uh, it was like I was playing blind man's bluff, and I was headed off instead of to pin the tail on the do- whatever you know, pin the tail on the donkey. Instead of headed toward the donkey, I was headed toward the cliff. Um, but it says nothing has contributed more than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. So the helping of the others is the most important thing. That's how I read that. The most important thing that I can do. You know, my abstinence is important. I think abstinence is important. I dislike the word, but it's important. You know, the the act of refraining from eating compulsively is totally important. But it's like my social security card. If I had a gun to my head, I could probably put my hands on it. But it's much more useful for me to just know the number. So the card can reside wherever it is in my house. And I kind of feel that way about abstinence. I don't, 
I don't ever think about food. I never fantasize about it. I never, um, I never hide, cheat, steal, or sneak around food anymore. I eat simply, but I eat beautifully. I'm an excellent, excellent cook. I, I make beautiful food for my family. I, I mean, everything is, you know, in, in the rearview mirror with regards to food. So I totally need the word, you know, the act of abstinence, but I don't really think about it anymore. It's just like what it says, it becomes a working part of my mind and I don't need to worry about it anymore. And, you know, in Bill's story, they talk about a practical program of action. And, you know, that's the steps. And then Ebby comes to pass his experience along if I care to have it. If means promise, consequence, or threat. So, you know, if Bill doesn't want to have it, well, he can look back on his life to date and see where he's going to end up. And if he does, he can look at Ebby, you know, fresh-skinned and glowing and something about his eyes. You know, he'll get that. So, you know, the... um, the elements of a way of living which solve all my problems. That's what happens when I follow the 12 steps. And, and step 12 in particular, I mean, the skill set is like a, you know, four through nine is the skill set that I go through to learn how to carry the message and practice the principles. I, don't, I can't do that. It's like having a job as a, as a principal engineer or as a, I don't know, some a doctor without going to medical school or maybe reading a couple of medical books or something. You know, you can't go and do surgery after you've just read a book or something. You have to have some expertise. And, um, you know, I have found that, in fact, none of my problems that I can think of haven't been, that have, I don't have any problems that haven't been solved as a result of just living a spiritual life, especially, especially carrying the message and practicing the principles, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the, what gives life to my spiritual awakening. And, um, you know, it says in Bill's story, we commence to make many fast friends, and, and this works, um, you know, even in rough going, and that they, they meet often so that newcomers can find the fellowship that they seek. Um, you know, I think that this works, especially when the going gets rough. I mean, anybody, not anybody, but I always, you know, loved my abstinence and loved going to meetings and felt happy when I was, when I was, you know, when life was going great, you know, and the worst chore that I had to do was find time to weed my garden. Um, But when my daughter was, you know, in, you know, when she was just in the hospital or, you know, I had, I get called three times a week at work. I, you know, you've got to come and get her and that, that's when it, that's when it was the most important. That's when it worked the most because that was like a signal to me to pick up the phone and call somebody else, not to talk about my daughter, to ask them how they were doing. Why would I want to talk about my daughter or anything, you know, when I can help somebody else? Because then I'm just sitting in the same poopy diaper, excuse my language, um, if I'm going to talk about that over and over again, nobody can do anything about that. Nobody can say, oh, you know, you should do this or you should do that. Or even if they just give me sympathy, it doesn't move me away from, the, from sitting in that. So, you know, the most important thing that I can do is to pick up the phone and call somebody else and ask them how they're, for me, that's the key that I found. I mean, other people might find it in other ways, but the way that I have found relief from the horrible, terrible isolation of being Nancy P in disease or when disease is, you know, like knocking at my door is by calling other people and not talking about myself. Um, and so, you know, I'm going happily along and, you know, then I come up to the problem of 
came to believe that a power greater than myself. I used to read that as came to believe in a power. And I thought, Nancy, you're sunk. You're never going to be able to to make that jump. You know, you're just never going to be able to do it. And um, I don't want to go into the, um, you know, how I got over it too much because that's a, you know, I could talk for 45 minutes on that alone. But, um, you know, it says on page 28 that um, faith can be acquired. And it doesn't say where or how. It just says that it can be. And um, everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody gets to do it their own way. And I found a way to do it that worked for me. And it works. It does a bang up job. And, um, you know, I thought to be spiritual that I had to be, you know, writhing on the floor, speaking in tongues, drooling at some tent revival in, in you know, someplace. And um, that's not it at all. That's not what happened at all. I, what, what I really needed to do was surrender entirely, absolutely, completely, and utterly. And um, when I did that, I was able to see a path. You know, the book says you can go, you know, there are many ways by which faith can be acquired. And, you know, I live right off Route 95, 200 miles north of New York. If I want to go to New York, I can get on 95 and, and be there in four hours. Or I can go to Maine first, or I can fly to L.A., or I can go to China. The book says I can go any way that I want. And I had to take a spiritual machete and bushwhack my way through that jungle and find a path that I could follow that worked for me. And um, I was able to do that by, um, you know, doing this work. And, you know, I tell my sponsees, you know, they'll say, what about this? What about that? And, and I always tell them the story that my own mother told me, you know, the kid and his mother are going to England. And the kid says, when are we going to get there? And she says, shut up and keep swimming. And that's what I do. You know, I just... Every step was the next, I just took the next step. I just did what I was told and, and I got better. And, um, you know, when we get to more about alcoholism, you know, we told him what we knew about alcoholism. You know, I tell my sponsees what I know. I tell them my experience. All these things that I'm saying on this, on this um, special edition, I've said to all of my sponsees and shared many times on the line. But... Um, I tell them what I do. And if they ask questions, I say, well, that's not what I, you know, this is what I did, or that's not what I did. This is what I did. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can do what you want to do, but this is what worked for me. And I'm really clear on that. I don't judge them because I know everybody has to find their own way. I recently, uh, a sponsee that I had, and I decided that um, we couldn't, weren't going to work together because she wanted to give up her food in stages, and it's a process. And I said, you know, I tried to, I, you know, I talked to my sponsor about it, and you know, we tried to, I tried to make it work and it just wasn't working. And I said, I don't think, I don't think I can help you. I don't think the message that I have is, is what you need. And she said, okay. And she asked me if she could call me. I was absolutely, anybody can call me anytime. Anybody should call me anytime. I always want to be available to help, but I always want to be as effective as I can be. Um, you know, again, it talks about this crushing blow and more about alcoholism and also the devastating blow to my pride. And, you know, I'm all for crushing and devastating blows. There was no other way for me to surrender. I had been bobbing like a cork on the ocean looking for a way to make this program work for me, and it just never did. And, you know, I picked up these spiritual principles on faith. You know, I hate to use the word faith. You know, I don't want anyone thinking that I actually believe in, like, God. But, um, um or that I don't actually believe in God. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, but, you know, I have to let these spiritual principles out of my brain and into my actions so that they can work. They cannot be theory. You know, it has to be action. And, um, 
you know, the question in more about alcoholism is, are you done, right? I, you know, are you done, Nancy, with the half measures, with the lurking notions, you know, lurking meaning, you know, to hide and wait to do harm. You know, if I, when those half measures and lurking notions, you know, trying to figure out, you know, if I work half time, I get half benefits. No, if with this, unless I'm in 100%, I get nothing. And, um, you know, people talk about if you put a dollar in the soda machine, do you expect, you know, if you put 75 cents in and the soda costs a dollar, do you expect to get a soda? And everyone says, of course not. But once I surrendered, I went up to the spiritual soda machine and I put in a dollar and I got the keys to Fort Knox. I mean, it was sort of like, a, you know, hitting the jackpot. The money came, you know, the, the resources came spewing out like a, like a, a broken dam. Um, you know, my defense must come from a higher power, but a connection to it isn't enough. You know, I can't just be connected to it, la, 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 la. You know, my spiritual awakening is only a prelude to the result, and I have to be spiritually awake to get results. So, you know, that's, you know, first, first surrender, then awakening, then results. And um, in we agnostics, you know, they say we don't need to consider another's conception of God. You know, and for me, as long as I could get past the idea that, you know, it says on page 47 that, you know, you can believe anything you want. And that applies too to any spiritual expressions that you find in this book. That's true. I, I personally, if I had one bone to pick with the book, it's that they don't spend enough time talking about that, even in we agnostics, but, um, but they, but it's fine, you know, and when I got over this, you know, I have this simple um, conception that works for me. Um, but upon this, cornerstone a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built so it works for me i don't have to be you know i'm stripped down to the bare wood and and that works for me i don't need any fancy i don't need any fancy stuff fancy um, appendages for my spiritual um life or for my relationship with i call it my buddy i don't even like any of the acronyms i just say my buddy um you know, every step is actually a principle. Every step tells me, you know, admit that I'm powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable. Came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. You know, it's, it says every step is a, is a principle, you know, that they all carry the message in a different way. And I just repeat what I, what I think it means and how it works for me. And it, it is comforting to know that I could begin at a simpler level. And I like that because it's like with, when my kids were little, you know, I tried to get them on a schedule on, you know, they slept and they played and they did this at certain times or, you know, within a certain time. And I began as I meant to go on. And I, you know, when they were young, I cracked the whip pretty hard. I was like, you know, I didn't cut them really much slack. They had to learn to behave and be polite. And, and they did. And the feedback that I got was, you know, one guy said that my daughter was a credit to me. And I, and I thought, I'm home free. <laughs> That's, that'll teach me. But, um, you know, I, began, I, I did that, and my structure was just that. It was like the if you go by a house that's being built and it's the frame, like that to me is the structure. And then they put on, you know, the, the sheetrock, and then they put in the floors, and then whatever they do, you know, they put in the plumbing or the wiring. I don't know, all mixed up. But I'm not a builder. But, you know, you'd get the point that they're building this, this, this structure that later will really – you know, be able to protect the people living in it from the weather. Um, and so I, I 
commenced, began at a simpler level, and I began as I meant to go on. And, you know, to possess a new sense of power and direction on page 46, none of this happened to me in real time, you know. Um, the only thing I did when it said to do it was I wrote my fourth step because it said we wrote it down in black and white and got it down on paper and looked at it. And page and step five when it said, um, you know, we can't do this alone. We have to have somebody else listen to it. So we take the bit in our teeth and we pocket our pride and we go to it. And so I did step five. But, you know, on page 47 it says, afterward we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed out of reach. And afterward means after step 11. And that's what happened to me. It kind of, you know, my, my spiritual life that prepared me to then, you know, pr- carry the message and practice the principles. My awakening began, but um, it began after I surrendered and after I completed and, and sort of solidified after I finished step 11. That was true. It snuck up on me like the fog, you know, on little cat feet like that poem by Tennyson. I was always waiting for the climax and wanted to have a moment to, you know, cue the Handel music, but it didn't work that way for me. You know, I didn't have a moment like that blew through me like a great tide of flood or the good, good, clean wind on the mountaintop, like, you know, what Bill says. You know, our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. You know, that says, that's on page 52. And I thought maybe at that point, maybe, maybe, maybe it would work for me. And it talks about at the end of We Agnostics, you know, about this broad highway, you know, if we can basically be of help through testimony, which is carrying the message and practicing the principles, then I can join, but only if I want. There's, I can't think of anything more up to me than that. <laughs> you know, it's not, there's no condition. They say, this is what we do. You want to come on, come along, be, be our guest. Please be our guest. Um, and then in how it works, you know, some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideals. And the result was nil until we let go absolutely, one of Nancy P's most, five most important words. And nil means non-existent, not zero, which is an actual number, not failure, which I think of as debris left over from trying. You know, the result does not exist. It's as though I never tried in the first place. That's what nil means to me. And we decided to quit playing God, which basically for me was my decision, my decision just to go on with the work. You know, getting rid of self in that space was me sincerely taking such a position. And surrender itself finished the job that the food started. You know, food started the job and surrender completed the beating me into the state of reasonableness on page 63. And, you know, I've gotten what I needed if, promise, consequence, or threat, I keep close to my buddy and perform the work well. I get to decide. The results are there for me to see. You know, my life as it's laid out in front of me, that's my data. So in step four, here the skill set begins. These skills in steps four through nine are skills that I will use for the rest of my life. But the beginning means learning them. They're prepping me to be recovered so that I can carry the message and practice the principles. They're prepping me to use my spiritual awakening to its fullest potential. And nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. My own personal opinion about that, you know, we were usually as definite as this example I decided, and I get to decide for myself, that that example that they give is actually the entire fourth step. I, I don't, you know, I did, I went through the big book step study process um, when my daughter was three months old in a, in a baby bucket. I t- took her to my first big book meeting. And um, I spent, um, I got a sponsor, a perfectly adequate one, and I spent three years, six nights a week for an hour writing my fourth step. It was 550 pages. And um, 
and it didn't take, and I ate for 13 more years. When I did the fourth step with my vision sponsor, she gave me two weeks, and she said, okay, we'll talk in two weeks. And I thought, well, wait, wait a minute. What about the three years? What about, the, you know, what about the thoroughness and honesty? And what I found out was as long as um, I get the point, then I don't need to beat the horse to death. Like if I know that my, I don't know, my mother or my father or my sister or my brother or my husband or whoever, um, you know, causes a certain resentment or causes a certain fear, then I don't need to write it 50 times. And, um, and that's what worked for me. Um, you know, and in step four, it also uses the word resolutely. We look for our own mistakes, right? Selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, and fear. And I thought about what my ideal should be in every situation. You know, what kind of a wife do I want to be? What kind of a mother do I want to be? What kind of a, um, you know, subordinate and what kind of a manager? All that stuff. Um, and prayer is necessary. And counsel with other persons is often desirable. I mean, that's true. And I'm not very good at praying myself. So I have, I've said this before on the line, people have heard me say this, um, I pretty much have one prayer and, and it goes like this. I don't like this. I don't want things to be this way. And the answer that I always get from my buddy is, I know, but I've got your back. And recently, um, I just dropped, in fact, a month ago today, I just dropped my son off at, um, at his college for his junior year. And um, he unpacked his car, his, the car, his roommate was already there and helped him and, and took, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then I gave him a hug and I, I got back in the car and I don't even think I backed, finished backing the car out of the parking spot when I burst into tears and I came up with a new prayer and my prayer was, I'm hurting because I miss my son. And, um, you know, the answer was, I know, but I'm here. So, you know, I also knew because, you know, I have some experience in this that... Um, that I wasn't going to sit like that for the 90 minutes that it was going to take me to drive home. So I had a list of people to call. And in this one case, I let myself cry to them and tell them that I miss my son. And then I would turn the attention, turn my attention, you know, ask them how they were doing. And, you know, I got through that, that, um, that drive and I came home and I, I was a little teary and I told my husband and he tried to comfort me. <laughs> He's so funny. I said, and I, I miss, you know, I miss him. And, my husband said, I know, he'll be home soon, though. <laughs> I mean, that just makes me laugh if you ever knew my husband. He's just so um, down to earth. But, um, you know, and so I got through that. And, you know, nature is good because, you know, a couple of days later, um, he, my son, there was something that came up and I had to deal with him. And it reminded me about why I'm actually glad that he's not here with me because he's, you know, still kind of a, he's an awesome, unbelievable guy, unbelievable um, but he's still kind of a butthead. He's just turned 21 yesterday. So, you know, you can imagine a junior in college and, you know, oh, I don't know what's going on. So, um, you know, so my prayer, I don't worry about, I don't tell my, my buddy what it is that I need. I just say what I think, what, I, what I'm feeling. And I, I, I believe and my experience shows that all, that's all that I have to do. I don't have to do anything else. I just have to say, I don't like this or I'm hurting or, or anything and life sort of smooths out I don't really care about I don't worry about that the only thing I, I don't worry about anything the only thing I care about is how awake am I so that I can practice the principles carry the message and practice the principles and how um, surrendered am I because without those you know then I'm 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 nowhere so you know in step five I you know as it says I pocketed my pride you know and 
what I found was, you know, step five is kind of a bookend to the devastating blow to my pride I experienced as I surrendered. You know, it was fantastic. And I lived to tell the tale without eating compulsively. Then I take stock of where I've been and where I am now. Mortar without sand. All these principles are really, really necessary so that I can carry the message effectively, right? Armed with the facts, like it says on page 18, if there is a solution and practice the principles. And step six and seven, this is where the rubber meets the road. Now, remove, not let go, or turn it over. Get rid of it. Why? To be useful to my buddy and to my fellows. I made my decision to go through the work, and now I start being useful. And steps eight and nine, the big secret is that my real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to my buddy, and especially the people about me. So... I, I love that, my real purpose. Like, what's all the other stuff? The fake purpose? I mean, I don't know. Or the appearance of purpose is to lose weight, but the real purpose is, is to be of use. And I couldn't see that until I got through the steps completely and until I started sponsoring. I needed to learn the steps so that I could ha- have a life of sane and happy usefulness. You know, with my sponsor now, it's carrying the message itself through teaching, you know, the steps um, to other women that I realize the promises, that they, become, that they become facts in my life to realize is to attain, right? Um, you know, I react sanely and normally because I carry the message and practice the principles. And I got there because I used the skill set laid out in four through nine. And step 10 is steps one through nine, wash, rinse, and repeat. And at the end, it says we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And the same as it says in step four, we, they use resolutely while looking at my mistakes. And here in step 10, they use the word resolutely again, which means with focus and determination as we try to help others. Shorthand for practicing the principles, step 12. In step 11, so I've learned the skill set in four through nine, and I'm continuing to do all that work daily in step 10, and I'm within spitting distance of step 12. And step 11 says, now that I pray for others, not myself. Step 11 is like a warm-up pitch for step 12 where it tells me that after I have my spiritual awakening and carry the message and practice the principles. You know, I'm still very agnostic and happy, you know, being agnostic. I always say the only reason I'm not an out-and-out atheist is because I might be wrong. But I did in the beginning and still will go to any length to get better and stay better. Nothing got in the way, ever, including one time we were driving my daughter down to an emergency inpatient 45 minutes away from the house, an hour there and 45 minutes back would have put me, you know, five, maybe five minutes late, depending, five or 10 minutes late. And I had my big book with me and my cell phone and I texted my sponsor and I said, I might be five minutes late. I told her what was happening, but I, I'm, I'm available. And she, you know, if, you know, sort of like the wife in the, in the book where it says, of course, she did not. And the whole situation has long since been adjusted. She said, take care of your family. But, you know, Nothing got in the way. Once I stopped making excuses, the excuses stopped showing up. When I was making excuses, they all said, absolutely, we'll come and we'll bring all our friends. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't make excuses anymore and I don't let anything get in the way. I just don't. Um, you know, as I said, I'm not very good about praying. And I hear about the third step prayer and I, I actually know that one because a lot of meetings close with it, but most of the other ones that have names like the seventh step prayer and the sick man's prayer and pretty much all the other prayers in the book is all sort of a blur. So, you know, I needed my prayer. I don't like this. I don't want things to be this way that I would never forget and would always work, have, and I would always have with me and it was always work for me. And I've done that other mechanisms. You know, I see a problem and I'm like, this has to be solved right now and it's never going to be up for, you know, contention or discussion again and that's why I come up with these prayers that work for me because I don't want to 
you know, I don't want to be trapped in, in um, some place where I don't know what to do. And, and what I will do if I don't know what to do is eat. And, um, and so, um, you know, what I can say is that, you know, I, I say I don't like the way that I feel. You know, I didn't like the way that I felt when I dropped my son off. I didn't like, certainly didn't like the way that I felt when my daughter was, you know, hacking herself up. And, um, you know, and, and it works for me. And, um, you know, in step 12, well, I would say one last thing is, you know, I didn't really believe that the process was going to work for me. You know, I hardly believed that it would work for me at all, really. But I, kept, I shut up and kept swimming. And then at the end of step 11, only, I got to the end of step 11, only to finally see in that sentence on page 88 um, that it works. It really does. And it, every single promise made in this book every single one without exception has come true. And that's what it means when it says it works, it really does. So it ended up for me that I had something even better than this white light experience, which is that I live in white light and every breath I take is a prayer. It really is. And in step 12, it repeats what it said in the first page of the doctor's opinion. You know, practical experience shows that nothing so much ensures immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. And I always pick that sentence apart with my sponsees because it's, it's really the key to the, to the whole thing. Um, you know, practical experience. You know, I, I worked with my, my friend, my, my boss that I worked with. I'm going to wrap up with this little story. Um, I worked with him for 10 years and he was a scientist. And so I know that, you know, if you want to, do a practicum in the lab, you take a real life situation and you put it into the lab under controlled circumstances, right? You take some cancer cells, you throw them in a dish, you give them something to eat and you wait and they grow and then you do stuff to them. And here, practical experience means that you take theory and you put it into your life. You bring it out out of your brain and put it into your life. So it proves, it shows, it proves that nothing, one of my most important words, will so much, will so much ensure immunity. Now, insurance, I will confess that my one secret addiction that I still have is buying insurance. It makes me feel safe. And, you know, I just sent off my AAA membership. And every year they say, here's $250,000 of insurance. And I always try to sleaze it by my husband and say, you know, we could get this deal for insurance, you know, pretty, pretty good deal, you know. And he always says, no, Nancy, we're not buying any more insurance. We already have, you know, our lives are insured, our homes are insured, our kids are insured, our cars are insured, the stuff in our house is insured. We even have insurance for long-term critical care in case we have a stroke. And um, immunity means that you won't get something that you don't want to get or will get something that you do want to get. Who wouldn't want to sign up for that? And all you have to do is intensive work with others. And so that's what I do. Um, and, you know, I can say that working with others in the, in the end is, you know, carrying the message and practicing the principles acts like, you know, if they say faith without works is dead, that fellowship and especially it says, we, you know, to have a fellowship grow up among you, we know you will not want to miss it. I used to say, speak for yourself. I used to think that, speak for yourself. Just make me thin and serene and, I, and just get away. And today, fellowship and working with others and carrying the message and practicing the principles is the most important thing in my life. And not only that, you know, it, it, is, it suffocates my fear and it, and it suffocates 
you know, the atmosphere where my um, where my character defects want to spring up and sprout out. It, it suffocates that. Um, you know, I, I seek counsel. I'll, I'll text a friend a question about even about, um, you know, do you eat this? No. And I said, I wrote back and I said, good reminder, what do I want to do? Relapse? You know, I asked a question because I was like, I could feel it niggling like a cold sore. You know, that's what it was going to do, turn into a cold sore. It's only going to hurt, you know, if you touch it. And uh, about a food question. And she, she just one little text, but that was enough. And, um, you know, this, today my life is, is an embarrassment of riches because I surrendered in the beginning and I practiced the principles and carry the message in the end. And all the other stuff in between bolsters that. And, um, you know, I'm, today I'm happy, joyous, and free in a way that cannot be, I mean, words fail me. And, um, and it's free, it's abundant, and it's available to everybody, everybody on this line and everybody else who's not on the line. So um, thank you for letting me, asking me to share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Nancy, the story that you told of your experience, strength and hope, it was just just touching to me and you present so eloquently and I just just appreciate so much the detail that you gave this morning about the importance and the relevance and the responsibility that we have. Thank you very much. We will ask Nancy for her contact information for those that want to speak to her later at the conclusion of this meeting. So you want to stay tuned and listen for that telephone number later on. The share ID number for today, Sunday, September 26, 2021, is 17,815-17815. If you want to go back and hit some of those points that you meant to get. But for now, the lines are open for questions. If you have a question for Nancy, please unmute your phone by pressing star 1 on your phone keypad. Offer your first name and the first initial of your last name, and then we can get going with your questions. And once you've asked your question, please press star 1 again to remute your line so it's nice and quiet uh, for the recording. Who would like to ask Nancy a question today? Barbara E. I got a Barbara E. Somebody J. Elizabeth D. Melissa C. Allison C. Anita J. That's who it was. Okay, got Allison. Okay, great. Michelle G. Michelle, okay. Rebecca A. Rebecca A. Elizabeth D. Elizabeth D. I thought I heard you back there. Sorry about that, Elizabeth. Liz T. Hi, Liz. Gotcha. That's a very good lineup. Let's start with that. And I have Barbara E. followed by Anita J. with our first couple of questions. Uh, Barbara, go ahead with your question. Oh, Nancy, thank you so much. That was wonderful. I always love hearing your shares, your authenticity, and your story astound me. And here's my question. I love that you call your special power my buddy, and you say, my buddy, I'm hurt. My buddy, I'm hurting. And it responds, I know. But what if you wake up in the morning and you aren't hurting? Do you talk to your buddy then? Do you say anything to him at all? Or do you just say, thank you, I'm alive? What is it you do when you're not hurting? Because I don't think people hurt every single day. Maybe they do. 
That's it. Thank you again, Nancy. Hi, Barbara. Thank you so much for the question. Um, I want to tell everybody, I hope it's okay, that you were the first person when I joined Vision that I made an outreach call to. I don't know if you knew that, but anyways. Um, so, yeah, I, um, the, the answer to that is um, I wake up every morning and I am n not filled with dread. In fact, I don't feel... Um, I'm not like a person that gets on my knees because I don't believe, I just don't do that. That doesn't make me feel connected to anything. What I do is, you know, I, get, I wake up and, you know, I perform my morning, you know, ablutions and, um, and I, I don't really say anything. I just feel connected and I feel happy. You know, I, I, even when there's a chore to do like something unpleasant that I have to do, I don't know. I don't really mind going to the dentist, but maybe there's a lawyer that I have to say, no offense to the lawyers, you know. I don't really, I'm never far away from it. I only say it out loud when I'm hurting. So, um, you know, in the morning when I wake up, I just am glad that I'm connected. And I don't feel less connected or less um, of a beneficiary of this power because I don't say anything because I don't believe that I need to. It's part of me. It's, it, I don't, you know, like the same way that I don't have to pray for anything in particular. I didn't have to pray, say, please take my hurting feelings away. I just had to say that I'm hurting and my buddy knows what to do. And in the morning when I feel good, I don't need to say that because my buddy already knows, you know, it's sort of like, you know, fist bump, you know, <laughs> like I have a, I have a good relationship. I'm, it's pretty casual and, and that's what works for me. I hope that helps or answers the question. Thank you, Barbie, for your question. Thank you Anita so much. Anita Jay. Anita J, your question, please. And then Allison, you'll be Thank after Anita. Thank you, Melanie, so much. Well, Miss Nancy, that was marvelous. And um, the transformation is really quite remarkable. I've been proud to know you many, many years. Uh, I was wondering about um, step 10. I know you're still human. I wonder what happens. And you do get those moments where you might need a step 10. Thank you. Oh, they happen every day. <laughs> definitely. I'm definitely um, not, um, you know, I'm not cured. I mean, I really think that, th yeah, we all know there's no cure for this disease. But if there were for Nancy P, it would be working with others. It would be carrying the message and practicing the principles. And, you know, step 10 happens all the time, you know. Like I do watch for selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking and fear. And I'm super, I have a super duper duper sensitive um, baloney detector. And it, you know, I can, I can get some sort of signal from a, another galaxy and it'll go ping, ping. And I'll be like, oh my God, I'm like, I hate this. And oh, I don't know what to do. And the first thing that I do is I stop everything. I mean, in my brain, you know, I stop thinking. I stop like trying to race ahead of it. And I think about what can I do. And um, and I say out loud, I say, you know, again, my prayers are not like, please, God, remove this. I just don't work that way. My brain doesn't work that way. So I say my prayers. Usually I don't like this. I don't want things to be this way. And then what's the next right thing? Often it's to call somebody and not talk about myself, right? We resolutely turn our attention, our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is my code. And, you know, a week or two ago, we had some, um, we had bought some furniture and it was sort of sitting in our dining room. So our dining room had a lot of furniture in it. And my husband said, where should we put the old stuff? And I said, we should 
do this and this and this. And he said, uh-huh, hmm, and he nodded. And I thought that meant, yes, Nancy, we're going to do every single thing that you said because you're right, because you're always right, and I am so glad that you gave me directions on what to do. But that's not what he meant. He just nodded his head in acknowledgement. And when he started to move the furniture, he moved it in a way that I didn't think it should be moved, and I was so upset and so, you know, like in it, you know, that I had to, you know, that's where my surrender comes in. And um, I had to leave the room because I didn't want to ask, even make any comments or, you know, any, anything. And um, I made a phone call and I didn't talk about it. And then I did it on my, you know, in my 11 step inventory at night, I did, you know, I wrote about it and I said, um, you know, was I selfish? Yes. It's none of my, what do I care? You know, what do I care? This does not matter to me. And, you know, if I'm in a car and I can't leave the room, I, um, I shut my mouth, which is, you know, what could we have done better? Often that is the, the answer, you know. Usually I'll write down what we've, could we have done better. It'll be maybe make more outreach calls, but often it's shut my mouth and not say anything. And so I do that until I can make a phone call. And I just find that I don't really need to pick at problems too, too often. Sometimes I do, and I call, you know, my, a few of my close homies, um, you know, and I'll talk about a specific issue, you know, in detail. But it, it's almost like as soon as you do that, as soon as you lance the boil with, you know, as soon as I lance the boil with a, with a fellow, they could say almost anything. They could start singing Ring Around the Rosie, and that would, feel, that would make me feel better. So, you know, my life, I always say my life is, is a riverbed, and, or I'm a riverbed, and my life flows over it. And sometimes it has debris in it, man-made debris, styrofoam cups and old boots and tires and dead bodies. And, you know, and sometimes the water is cool and refreshing, and sometimes there's grass and leaves and branches in it. And, and once you get rid of all the man-made debris, rivers need grass and leaves and branches to clean themselves. So I need those reminders um, I become, I have, I would say without exception, since I've, since my surrender became fact, um, that those moments of opportunity, <laughs> that's what they really are, have been extremely useful to me because they become data points. You know, I'm not, I'm pretty data driven and they become pieces of experience that I can then pass on to another compulsive overeater um, when I get the opportunity. Thank you much, Anita J, for your question. Allison, it's time for your question now. And Michelle G, you'll follow Allison's question. Hi, it's Allison C from Cary, North Carolina. Um, lovely share, very useful. Um, my question is, I am a woman of strong faith and a very traditional God. And most of the people who have asked me to sponsor them, they want that. But if someone approaches me and they're an agnostic or atheist, does that work? Should I decline them? And if I should sponsor them, any tips? Thank you. That's an excellent question. And that brings me, and I'm flipping to my favorite page, one of my favorite pages in the book, page 28. Um, you know, I'm extremely agnostic. And, um, you know, I love it when it says, um, what first seemed what seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God, and that doesn't that word doesn't work for me. So I read that as what seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of a design for living that really works. And then just below that it says there's a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God, or you know whatever they want. And it says faith can be acquired. So to me, I mentioned that in my talk that, you know, my faith or whatever you want to call it, I don't, you know, I don't really have an objection to the word faith, except as it seems to be married to the word God. But um, um, 
I could probably get it on Amazon if I could figure out the right, you know, Boolean code, you know, the right sequence to say. And it says here below that, it says, you know, those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There is no friction among us over such matters. And so, you know, I've sponsored two Orthodox Jews and I speak with some, um, you know, not regularity even, but I've spoken on more than, many more than one occasion to someone who's a fundamentalist Christian from a, a deeply conservative area of the country. And I, I say, and those with no religious affiliation, you know, to me, those with no religious affiliations will find here also nothing to offend their ceremonies and beliefs. I mean, it's not about God. And I personally think that, you know, if, you know, people are attracted to me, they ask me to sponsor them. I don't go looking. I mean, I say I'm available when I'm available, but I don't, call people up and say, hey, looks like you need a sponsor. How about if you use me because I'll help you? You know, they find something in my discourse or in my attitude that is attractive to them. And that's all that I have. I don't have, you know, I don't care about their religious affiliation because it's for me or, or lack of it or degree of it. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I sponsor all kinds of people. And, um, and neither of us, I think, find any friction like that's the thing there's no friction among us because i stick to my message i only have the one message i only say the one thing and um, i'm really clear on what i offer and what i don't offer i'm not a lawyer an accountant a rabbi a priest a minister or a um you know a retirement planner a financial any you know i'm not a scientist i'm none of those things i'm a step guide i'm not even a food sponsor or i i could be but I'm, i stink at it but you know um you know, I, I, I help them figure out their alcoholic food list. I tell them to go to a professional, which I am not, and get a meal plan and make it clear with their list in hand. Tell them as much or as little as you want about Overeaters Anonymous, but make it clear that you can't eat any of these things in any way, shape, or form. That's as much as I have to do with food, and then the rest of it, I stick to the message. And the message is pretty generic, that we need a power. Some people want to call it God. Some people want to call it uh, you know, whatever they want to call it, they, you know, Buddha, Jesus, whatever, you know, Allah, um, you know, they call it whatever they want. But in the end, no religion, you know, all religions say, you know, come with us and we'll show you the road, you know, you'll be on this road. And if you come with us, we'll protect you from bad neighborhoods, scary turnoffs, broken pavement, you know, just come with us and we'll, we'll help you. No religion says, rape, murder, and pillage, and lie, cheat, and steal. No, no religion says that. They all say, you know, love everybody, be helpful to everybody, be kind, you know, like that. So in my opinion, if you're a woman, a woman of strong faith, great. You know, you don't have, you know, you're not, you don't, you're not shoving anything down anybody's throat. You have a message and, and you have what the book says you need. So that's, I hope that helps. And you can call me after, after if you want. Anybody can call me. Everybody should call me. Call, call, call. Thank you very much, Allison C., for your question. Michelle G., your questions now. And then, Rebecca, you're going to follow Michelle. Thank you. Good morning. This is Michelle G. from Boston. Um, thank you so much for your share. I, um, I, just, I heard so much um, spirituality in your share, which leads me to my question. Um, and I don't quite know how to phrase it, but um, I can identify so much in with your agnosticism. Um, how, well, maybe that's not right. Actually, I guess my question is, um, I, how do you define agnostic? Because I hear so much 
presence with your creator or your your spirit and your share. I mean, so much more than I have heard from people that, you know, are like very religious people. So how, like when you say I'm a card-carrying agnostic, I guess I'm confused in a sense because I – I feel like I'm, I can super relate to your share, but I don't consider myself an agnostic. Um, so if, can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I could do a whole talk on agnosticism, but um, basically, you know, um, my sponsor said to me, I, you, you know, you have to decide what do you want God to be and what do you want God to do for you? And I thought for the first time in my life, I thought, all right, I'm going to take that challenge because I used to try to skate. I mean, Nancy P will skate. I'm so lazy. You know, I wanted to start at the end and backfill all that other stuff. Just make me thin and serene. And I promise I'll do all that other stuff. And um, so I thought, okay, you know, here I am. We're in we agnostics. And I thought, what do I want? And, you know, people have heard this a million times, but it's, it is monumental in my recovery that, First thing, you know, I'm going to throw out everything I don't want. I, I don't, you know, everything I've ever heard, read, learned, was taught, wrote, listened to, was near, imagined, anything. I'll throw it out and start from scratch. What do I want God to be? And the first thing was not God. I don't like that word. It doesn't make me feel serene. So chuck it. Second thing is no knees. I don't like that. I, I don't want to be closer to my dusty carpets. I don't, you know, I wasn't raised that way. So chuck it. And what do I want? And I thought about what could I embrace? Because I needed to solve this problem. This was the whole thing. I mean, you know, again, this is step two, came to believe that a power greater than myself. And um, all I needed to do was believe that it could work, not in anything, just that it could work. And so I, I thought, well, what can I embrace? And, and you know, I've, I, I liken it to building a swing set. I have like eight or 10 big, big pieces and 9 million bolts and nuts and screws. And, um, and I thought about it and I said, well, I can embrace trust, right? Again, religion says, come with us and we'll show you the way. And they, they say, you know, they all say kind of the same thing, but from different viewpoints. And um, so I can embrace trust and I can embrace kindness and generosity and love and, you know, all that. And, you know, so I built my swing set and, and periodically I jump on it and see if it could hold my weight. And it did. And, and, you know, and, and I had, you know, integrity and, and patience and compassion and, you know, and, and then I started to kind of get bored and I said, like any good direct marketer, I reserve the right to change or amend this anytime I want. And remember, this is only for me, you know, and I thought, okay, you know, good. And now what do I want it to do for me? And that was like a lightning bolt that came to me all at once because I was like, you know, it was sort of like, you know, I felt sort of like spiritual when I was thinking this, sort of calm and, and serene when I was thinking of it because it was really doing something good for me. But when I thought about what did I want to do, I sort of got bored again and I thought, I can't go through that exercise again. And I thought, what can I, what do I really want? And it came to me all at once, make me into those things. And, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't kind and generous and loving and all that, but I wasn't, definitely wasn't consistently so or to enough of a degree to feel as though I was being of use to anybody. And, um, and that was my cornerstone set in place. And, you know, I had no later vicissitude has shaken it, you know, and I've never, I mean, I have not seen the need to change it. I mean, I reach always for those things, you know, to be trust, you know, trusting, trustworthy, patient, and all those things. I do reach for those things. 
but I don't, I have not found the need to encompass anything else. That has continued to serve my needs. So that's what I kind of think of it. I just, I literally made up my own conception. It says that, you know, it, it says much to our relief on page 46, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception. And that's exactly what I always thought I had to do. You know, fake it till you make it, act as if, use the group, borrow mine. That just wasn't working. I mean, I was raised in a religion that's old and venerated and effective for, you know, in that space for millions of people. But I, I'm like really bad at it. And, I, and it doesn't, it makes me feel like I'm wearing an itchy sweater. I just can't do it. But I still needed to do something or else this wasn't going to work for me. And again, I was like, Nancy, solve this problem right now. Like enough jerking around. And so I did pretty black and white for me. Thank you very much, Michelle G, for your question. Rebecca A, your question now, and then Elizabeth C, you'll follow. Hi there, I'm Rebecca A, compulsive overeater from London in the UK. Thank you so much, Nancy, for your heartfelt share. Um, yeah, and thanks for all the service you do. Like, yeah, it was really beautiful. Um, you spoke of kind of feeling, you know, like being in a point where it looked like life was falling apart and your daughter was really struggling. Um, and like that hasn't happened to me, but I can definitely resonate with the feelings. Um, my question is, yeah, when, when we're in our disease and feeling like life is kind of like desperate and it's really small, how do you find the courage to work the steps? How do you, when you feel like everything is falling apart, and we kind of deserve it because we're so terrible. How then do you get the courage to be like, okay, I'm going to work the steps and it's going to work? So that's an excellent question, Rebecca, and thank you. And I'm really glad to hear you, my friend, my good friend. Um, so, you know, that just reminds me of Bill's story where it says that his, he, you know, my wife and I threw ourselves into this and we found a way of living that works even in rough going. And I say, my attitude is, I think it works, especially in rough going. I mean, that's why the only thing, I don't worry about anything except how surrendered am I or am I surrendered? There's some, you know, surrender is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, there's always room for more. And, um, and you know, if there's something that's upsetting me, I'm not really into acceptance or, you know, because when the NCP tries to accept something or let go of something, it's always ripped and bashed and broken and torn. You know, let go. No, I don't want to let go. Let go. No, I don't want to. Okay, I'll let go. And then it's ruined and, you know, <laughs> like it's ruined, smashed with rocks into powder. And the same thing with accepting, you know, like if you're trying to give somebody medicine that they don't want to take, you, you know, you have to either pry their job, their jaws open and then you say, oh, I got most of it in, but then it all fell, you know, it spilled all over the shirt or something like that. Like I'm not good at accepting things. I'm really best at surrendering. And so, you know, I always talk about my beehive and I learn from them just metaphorically, because I try not to go too near them. They don't like it. But, um, you know, they have one job, and their job is to take care of their queen. And she has one job, and her job is to lay eggs. And, um, and that's what they do. You know, they keep her warm when it's cold, cool when it's warm, clean, dry, and fed. That's what their job is. And, um, and so my job is to treat my surrender like that. I work on that all the time. And if something, you know, if, if something seems like it's falling apart or, you know, if I'm upset, you know, if I have mental, what I call mental disquiet, I can't stand that anymore. I can't live with it. You know, I have to, I have to, um, I have to 
talk to somebody about it. And sometimes it's my husband. I mean, yesterday, my daughter came home. She she goes to college um, in Cambridge, so it's like 20 minutes, 25 minutes from our house. So she comes home often, and I said she said something was bothering her, but she wouldn't tell me what, and I was instantly like, oh, my God. Oh. And um, I said to my husband, I said, you know, I didn't say – I didn't say any of that. I I asked him a question. I said, you know, do you think, you know, what do you think about this? And he said, no, her grades are good. And, and she's, um, you know, she's homesick. So she comes home, but she'll, the more she gets into the college life, the more she'll, you know, the less she'll come home. And that's just like that. That was seeking counsel from others. Like what it says in step four, you know, and I do that all the time. I've called people, you know, I have certain, you know, most people I don't, that I call, I ask, you know, ask them how they're doing, but there's a couple few, three or four or five that I call that I will occasionally talk about stuff that's bothering me deeply. And, um, and, and I seek counsel and, and that's what happens. Like it works, especially in rough going. And I would even go further to say, I make sure that I'm preemptively ready by never relaxing my vigilance. I mean, I still make between two and 10 calls a day because I have to make two connections. So the old Nancy P would have been like, oh yeah, I made my calls. I got eight voicemails, but I tried. That's not good enough anymore. I have to make connections. And because I make a lot of calls, I get a lot of calls. And so I get it from both ends, you know, coming and going. And, you know, fellowship, 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 other people, other people, other people. It really, you know, like my life is like a popular nightclub, you know, the, the bouncer, one problem will get fo- solved and the bouncer says, okay, you next five, go ahead and there's room for you now. <laughs> that's like my life, but none of them are overwhelming. Even the ones that are overwhelming, that it seems so frightening, don't, don't, they don't own me anymore. My feelings do not own me. I don't, they don't dictate what I say and do. They just dictate how I feel and I am not in, in prison. I'm not in bondage to them anymore. I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Rebecca A., for your question. Elizabeth D., your question now, and then Liz T. will follow you. And then we might be wrapping up our day. We'll see. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Can I be heard? Can I be heard? Yes, loud and clear. You go right ahead. Just jump right in. I think she doesn't think she can be heard. <laughs> we, did you hear her, Nancy? I did. I did, yeah, I did. Okay. Okay. We just give her a moment here to come back. Okay. Here I am. Thank you. For there your you are. <laughs> Nancy P. Elizabeth D. Um, I am so grateful um, to be on the line and to ask you this question. First of all, I just want to say you are the way you use metaphor in in your your shares and in your story is brilliant and incredibly helpful to me. It's the first thing I want to say. Second thing is a question. Um, I am in steps uh, six and seven now, and I'd love to hear more about how you work with your uh, sponsees in six and seven. Thanks. So, um, so thank you, Elizabeth, and it's good to hear you as well. Um, you know, step six and seven are pretty, you know, in the, in the moments, you know, going through them. I mean, you know, when you do, when I did my fifth step, you know, I did five, six, and seven right in, right in a row, like in the same, in that sitting. And it, you know, I say, are you ready? I mean, are you going to do it? I don't spend a lot of time on them. You know, 
when I was pregnant, I breathed for my children. I ate for my children. I carried them. I did everything for them. My body did everything for them. Once they were born, they were basically on their own. I mean, they had to do their own breathing. They had to do their own, you know, they had to do it themselves. And this is like, you know, it, it talks about it. It says we were reborn when we do these, this work. And, and so step six and seven, it's up to them. They have to decide. Do they, are they in? Are they going to do it? I mean, I can't make them. I can't check on them. I'm not the police. I don't even care if they do it. You know, it's not up to me. It's up to them. And I tell them that. I even use those words. I say, you know, this is not going to hurt me. If you, you know, in any, at any point in time, I'll say to them, you know, this is not going to hurt me. You know, this won't affect my recovery. This will affect your recovery. Somebody called me up once and said, how many words should I write in my fourth step, you know, for each resentment? And I was like, whatever you think. It's, it's what you need to do, what you need to get in writing to understand what the resentment is. Not for me. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm, I'm with them every step of the way, but I'm not in it. I'm helping them. I'm just their guide. Like it's like a railing on a staircase. You know, they just use me to help hoist themselves up. Okay, good. Good answer. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth. And then Liz T, your question, please. Hi, good morning, everybody. I'm Liz T, a recovered compulsive overeater in Minnesota. Thank you, Nancy, for your beautiful share. Uh, my question um, is regarding, um, and thank you for your raw and um, open and transparent share about your daughter. I, that is the kind of stuff that, that really helps me uh, on these calls is, you know, how we can relate to each other on a day-to-day basis and what's going on in our lives. And I, my thought or my question as you were talking about is, was wondering, what you met, what you do for support, like um, you mentioned calling others, working with others, you have a few go-to people you can talk to to process the emotions. Is that, is that what does it for you? Or have you, and this may get into outside issues and maybe be better on a call, but have you used other, you know, um, therapy or support groups or anything else? I'm coming into a point where I have teenage daughters and you know, it's a new landscape, so I'm just curious if there's anything else that's helped you as a mom. Thanks. Hi, um, Liz. Yeah, um, most of that is an outside issue, and I, I, when when I give my number at the end, please call me because I can give you some, um, give you that information. But in terms of the, the programming stuff, except for you know, like other other stuff other than, um, you know, calling my my homies, my group of homies. Really, the answer was completely. Like I said, sometimes I would be on the phone for two minutes, sometimes five minutes, sometimes 20 minutes. Occasionally I'd be on the phone for 40 minutes with someone not talking about it. It's not that I could, it's not that I, you know, I did have my, like I said, I do ha- did have a group of people and I did have some outside, ish, outside um, resource that I can discuss with you offline. But um, for the most part, that was what taught me. That experience is what taught me that, um, that fellowship is what saved me. I mean, that's what really, you know, suffocated that fear. I mean, it's, it didn't give it, you know, all the resentment, all the fear, you know, the, you know, why, you know, resentment, like, why can't you toe the line for crying out loud? You know, like, I'm ashamed to say, you know, but my frustration, you know, it was just, my rage was out of control. And, um, you know, I never said that to her, but I felt it. And, um, you know, I needed to starve that. Otherwise, it was going to overtake me. And, and I have found that, that 
talking to other people and not talking about myself, it was what gave the nail in the coffin, put the, you know, it suffocated that, that rage, that fear. It suffocated it to death. And as for the other, please call me offline and I'll be happy to talk to you about it. Thanks. Thank you very much. And thank you all who asked questions today and, and Nancy especially for your presentation and the way that you methodically went through each one of these questions and answered them for folks. You know, you said it in such a visual, picturesque kind of way for a person that thinks that way. It just helped put everything into perspective and the way that you made such good reference to the directions in the big book and, and keeping it real pure and clean to that idea. It's just very, very helpful. And um the time here today with you has been just a blessing, an absolute blessing today. Thank you for all of the all of what you've given today. We're going to close now this morning, like we always do, by reading page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only, so stay with us for the rest of what's going to be happening this morning. You don't want to miss that. Okay, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God 